From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon and welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council. Honored to be sitting in for Tony, who's taking some much needed time off. And we're, of course, extremely honored and grateful to have your presence with us as well this evening. All right, coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. A Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. Well, of course, that was District Attorney of Georgia's Fulton County, Fannie Willis, late last night, announcing the latest indictment of former President Donald Trump, as well as 18 others. I'll discuss this in detail in the program with Matt Whitaker, a former acting attorney general in the Trump administration. And today is a day, quite frankly, that the Biden administration is hoping the people of America and the world will forget. It's the second anniversary of the fall of Kabul following the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. But do you remember what President Biden claimed in the months leading up to the fall? Well, let me remind you. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it. We'll do it responsibly, deliberately and safely. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Well, looking back, just how wrong was the president? I'll talk about that later in the program with retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. And since President Biden drew no attention whatsoever to Afghanistan today, what did he focus on? Bidenomics. Bidenomics is just another way of saying restoring the American dream. That's, the base, that's what it is. Just restoring the American dream. Wow. Well, that was President Biden discussing the economy in Milwaukee. Seems to me like Bidenomics has done more to become an American nightmare rather than American dream. But uh, the president claims that Bidenomics is working. But do American families agree? Well, we'll be discussing this here in just a few moments with Congressman Ron Estes of Kansas, who serves on the House Ways and Means Committee. And as we continue to pray for those affected by the Maui wildfires, our friends from Samaritan's Purse arrived today bringing some 18 tons of emergency relief equipment. What an amazing organization. We'll get an update later in the program from them. So we have a packed show as always with you this evening. And as a reminder, the website is TonyPerkins.com. So if you happen to miss any portion of today's program, or if you'd like to just simply archive and check out some previous programs, you can do it all right there at TonyPerkins.com. Also a wealth of information available for you there and resources. So check it out, TonyPerkins.com. All right, President Biden spoke in Milwaukee today, continuing his Bidenomics tour. And this comes even as inflation on his watch has caused hardworking American families to spend an additional $700 a month 
just to maintain the standard of living that they had two years ago. Does the president's messaging match the experience of working families? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Ron Estes. He serves on the House Committee on Ways and Means, as well as the Budget Committee and the Committee on Education and Workforce. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Kansas. Congressman, great to see you again. Welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Jody. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's always an honor. I miss you. It's great to have you here with us. All right, listen, I want to jump into Bidenomics and get your opinion on that. But obviously, the big news of the day is the indictment against President Trump. Just real quickly, before we get into Bidenomics, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it really is a politically motivated, driven indictment. I mean, you know, you know the people that are involved in Georgia more than I do. But Obviously, it's been two and a half years since the election. If they were trying to do something, uh, instead they waited till uh, President Trump had announced for a reelection campaign, and and uh, it's it shifted the focus away from the the fires, the cities burning up in in Maui, shifted the focus away from the second year anniversary of Afghanistan and the and the failures there and the pullout there. It's it's just kind of indication of of how wrong the president has been on so many things. I mean. He talks about Bidenomics being something good, uh, but uh, just like he was wrong on inflation, he was wrong talking about uh, that he wasn't involved in Hunter Biden's business dealings, uh, that uh, he, he says that uh, Biden inflation is uh, helpful for Americans. And that's that's not the story that we're seeing. As you said, individuals are paying $700 more per month. And literally what that means, if you, if you look at the inflation uh, since President Biden came into office, it's the equivalent of taking two months paycheck out of everybody's pockets to buy the same goods and services, the same rent, same car payment, the same groceries. Uh, it's really an impact and it's a burden on people. Well, it really is. And that is the reality of what's going on. You know, I saw earlier today a, a report that credit card balances have topped one trillion dollars for the first time ever. I mean, that in yeah. itself says that Bidenomics is being more harmful. It's doing more harm than good, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And one of the things they touted about that uh, in, in last month's report was that the GDP grew, but it grew because of more grocery purchases being put on credit card balances. So people are having to use their credit cards to actually buy groceries to, to feed themselves. And that, that just adds more and more burden. And, that, and that, that means that you have to pay that out over time. Uh, we're seeing stories here in Kansas where people don't have the money to buy the same back to school supplies uh, that they need. And of course, gas prices, we've seen them. Normally gas prices go up leading into summer. And then after July 4th, they start to taper off. But now they're starting to rise back again. We're seeing that uh, the the, the uh, credit card uh, pricing, as you said, is is uh, uh, a tremendous burden, and and it's it's an impact that takes money out of people's pockets, and and they just they don't have the money to actually pay for the things that they need. Yeah, and you know, even the gas prices, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, as you well know was utilized when probably it should not have been to try to get the prices of gasoline down. Well, now we've used up a significant portion of that reserve, enough to where I'm hearing it's going to take decades to refill it. And so kind of that uh, that spigot is being shut off and gas prices going right back up. But let's continue here. The, the uh, credit card 
Uh, debt just from April to June it went up $45 billion, as you're referencing. I mean, that, that's 4% just in that short period of time. And as we mentioned, going over a trillion dollars. And yet, and, and I want to, I, I couldn't help but just shake my head in wonder with the president today saying that Bidenomics is just another way of saying restoring the American dream. I mean, kind of, it's, it's troubling news, reality of what's happening. Uh, what are your thoughts on him making that kind of a statement? Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's indicative that, that he doesn't understand what's going on. And, you know, like I said earlier, is it is he, he was wrong when he talked about inflation wasn't going to be a problem uh, with all the government spending and he started. He was wrong in saying it was going to be uh, an easy pull out of Afghanistan and that Taliban wouldn't take over. Uh, he's wrong in saying that he wasn't going to be involved in Hunter Biden's hadn't been involved in Hunter Biden's business dealings. And, and now we're seeing the, the consequences of of the pocketbook impacts that are affecting Americans. The, the cost of inflation and actually real wages being down because of that impact on them. Yeah, and more troubling news, and you're, you're hitting all over it, but I also saw that uh, people are using, for hardship reasons, using their 401k accounts. Uh, this is just another sign. I want to play uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said something on CNN. I want to play this real quickly, clip 11. Please, let's, let's get that. I want to get your reaction to this. Over 70% of Americans um, say that they're very comfortable with their financial situation. So they seem to perceive the economy uh, as a whole as doing less well than they are personally. But most Americans feel good about their own economic situation. I'm not aware of most Americans feeling good about their financial situation. Uh, what kind of, I'm not, not seeing the poll that she's referring to. I, do you have any idea? I have no idea what poll she could be referring to. I mean, nothing I've seen ever says anything like that, that Americans are comfortable. The, the polls I see is a majority of, of people that are uncomfortable with their economic situation in terms of uh, the amount of money they have in their pocketbook and their concern for the growth in the economy, concern for their future well-being. And you, you talked about, uh, you mentioned about 401ks. I mean, the statistics coming out now that there's more and more hardship withdrawals coming out of 401k accounts, which which means people can't afford to save for their retirement because they're having to spend that money today for the things that they need. And I, I just don't understand it. The whole administration seems to just miss the boat on so many things. And it, it's unfortunate because the American people end up suffering because of that. Yeah, and the president actually inherited a pretty good situation apart from COVID. Uh, the, the economy had been moving strongly forward and inflation was down and they have just gone the opposite direction. I, I want to shift gears because uh, Congressman Ron Estes, you have been such a leader on on issues like this ever since you came to Congress. But uh, you have joined some other colleagues of yours and have launched a bipartisan fiscal reform uh, effort. Uh, what are you hoping to accomplish? What is this and what do you hope to uh, come see come from it. Yeah. Well, as we all know, I mean, it, the, the information's out there. Our national debt is large, it's looming, and it continues to grow. 
And it's because this uh, this continuing overspending of the revenue. And uh, there is no money tree in Washington, D.C. And so what we're seeing, and, there, and there's some Democrats and some Republicans that are out there actively taking a role of looking at what do we do going forward? Because this is not sustainable. This is not something that we should want to leave to our kids and grandkids. And and so we we understand that the country and economy continues to grow. And, you know, there's a need to make some prudent investments, but it doesn't make sense to just spend willy-nilly more than what you have coming in. And, and what we've seen uh, continuously is more and more programs that are not just continuing to grow, but continuing to increase each year. So we we've got to make some hard decisions on uh, let's not uh, let's not spend more money year over year. Uh, let's look at freezing. Maybe we should freeze our our spending for a couple of years, or maybe even one of the things that we're advocating for the fiscal 2024 budget is uh, let's spend at the fiscal 2022 level. You know that was only a year and a half ago that we were spending at the the fiscal 22 level. It wasn't it wasn't bad times. It was actually pretty good. There was a lot of good things that were being done then. And and we'd save over 130 billion dollars if we just spend at the same rate that we were spending at uh you know less than a year and a half ago. So that that's the focus that that we need to have and, and the groups trying to work on different ideas. Obviously, there's issues ranging from uh, discretionary spending, whether it's whether it's defense or whether it's uh, health and human services. Uh, there's also a, a lot of programs that are, you know, automatic spending programs that, you know, we've got to figure out ways to get past the political rhetoric around uh, Medicare and Social Security, uh, because those Absolutely. are programs that we pay into. And uh, we 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 pay in, but we don't. Congressman, pay in we're going to wrap. We got to. We're going to have to stop right there. Hard break coming up. Congressman Ron Estes from Kansas. Thank you for joining us. And friends, coming up next, we'll jump into the indictments against President Trump. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the break. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in this evening for Tony, and we are honored to have you on board with us. All right. Yesterday, an Atlanta grand jury indicted former President Donald Trump and 18 others, accusing them of criminally conspiring to overturn the 2020 elections. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Well, that was District Attorney of Georgia's Fulton County, Fannie Willis, making the announcement last night. And this is the fourth indictment of the former president, and it carries a potential sentence of five to 20 years. So what's behind these specific charges? And with a former president currently in a commanding lead for the Republican presidential primary, what can we expect from here? Well, joining me now by phone to break this down further is Matt Whitaker. He is the co-chair of the Center for Law and Justice at the America First Policy Institute, and he's a former acting attorney general for then-President Trump. Matt, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Jody. Good to be with you, my friend. Well, thank you. All right, Matt, listen, let's uh, let's try to break this down. Let's begin just with your initial reactions to the indictment last night. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, um, I think, a little surprising how broad, um, you know, the prosecutor went. I think, you know, you probably know as well as anybody that this prosecutor is uh, looking for political fame and trying to promote her own political career and has put together a, you know, as I've dug into it deeper, a pretty flimsy document. I mean, I'll just give you one example. Your former colleague, Mark Meadows, is charged with um, the conspiracy, the, you know, the RICO offense, uh, which is usually used against criminal organizations for asking 
for somebody's phone number. <laughs> um, I, I was a little rattled by that when I read the indictment. And so those are, you know, I, I just think that, you know, this uh, famously, if, and you, you know American history, but I think Lincoln once called someone's argument as, you know, thin as a suit made from the shadow of a sparrow that had died from starvation. I think that's kind of what we're dealing with right now in this indictment. Yes, yeah, so, you know, it, it kind of, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure how to really respond to this whole thing of racketeering. Uh, the former president and others were charged, as you mentioned, with the RICO violation. Walk us through this. What does this mean? Uh, and why would the Fulton County DA use this particular charge? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, typically a racketeering organization or, you know, kind of a RICO offense is a big um, criminal organization. If you think about it, almost like a criminal company, you know, that that does, uh, you know, robs banks, murders people, uh, you know, threatens, I mean, does kind of, you know, the uh, crimes across the board in furtherance of the business of crime. And in this case, you know, from everything I've read and what I know about it so far is it looks like they pretty much just uh, went after anybody that, that asked questions about the, you know, um, voter, you know, uh, machine, voting machines integrity, the, um, you know, the, the, you know, what was happening, did any kind of investigation into, uh, you know, the Georgia election in 2020. It's, 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 there's just going to be a lot more, I think, that comes out on this, especially evidence wise. And I think we're going to be surprised how, how much there's not a lot there uh, when you get to the bottom of it. Well, what do you say to our viewers and listeners who remember uh, ever how long it was, four years, whatever it was, uh, Democrat politicians in the same scenario to be accused of conspiring to overturn an election? I mean, this is not just something new uh, that's happened in this past election cycle. Democrats have complained about this type of uh, outcome with elections in the past themselves. What would be the difference? I again, I I, I, I don't remember the specific facts and circumstances of, for example, you know, Stacey Abrams and her believing that she won the election. But you know, it's very similar um, to that. You know, again, people were trying to. Um, put together what happened and, you know, whether there were uh, not just irregularities, but whether there was, you know, fraud or, or malfeasance. And, and, you know, they kind of each kind of pursued different avenues. And so that's, you know, from what I can tell, um, a lot of what they've piled into this conspiracy. And, you know, the thing about RICO that's very interesting to me and how it's being used by this prosecutor is, you know, it's I mean, it's not limited to the state of Georgia or Fulton County. They have you know, they're bringing in any anything anybody alleged to have done nationwide. It's just a it seems to just be such a broad um, reaching indictment for, you know, just one local elected D.A. I mean, it's going to be very interesting how this plays out um, over the course wow. of the following months. Well, if we can switch topics in just a couple of minutes that we have remaining. Sure. Uh, earlier this week, Hunter Biden's attorney said that he is confident that there will be no new charges filed against Hunter. Uh, you know, I mean, here we go with the special counsel. Why would he say something like that? Yeah, I, that's wishful, uh, wishing and hoping. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, they appear to continue to be blowing statute of limitations into the benefit of Hunter Biden, you know, all these tax years are kind of falling off the back end. Um, 
and he's not he can't be charged for those and he can't resurrect them. And so I think that you know this special counsel, and I said it you know earlier this week, is just appears to be kind of part of a chess move that you know Merrick Garland is just trying to do all he can to outrun this case and to never have Hunter Biden see justice because you know he just keeps adding to it. It's been going on for five years the investigation and a lot of you know the biggest tax years and the felonies that should have been charged uh, have already fallen away in 2014 and 2015. So. You know, I'm very concerned that, you know, Weiss, who tried to cut this sweetheart deal in the first place, is, uh, is ever going to do anything that, you know, brings Hunter to justice for all the influence peddling and corruption that he really was the center of. Less than 30 seconds. Are you concerned that we may be watching a two-tiered system of justice? Uh, we have a two-tiered system of justice, there's no doubt. I mean, we have... Uh, a weaponization of the not only the Department of Justice, but, you know, uh, Democrat elected prosecutors, Jody. And I just think that's, um, you know, it's not going to be good for our republic. And I worry about the long term. Very concerning. We're going to have to leave it there, yeah. Matt. Thank you so much. Matt Whitaker from America First Policy good Institute. Joining. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. All right, friends, coming up, Samaritan's Purse has been airlifting supplies to those in need following the wildfires in Maui. And after the break, we'll get an update on their efforts and how you can pray. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host this Tuesday evening, Jody Heiss, and we're glad to have you joining us. Well, we all are continuing to follow the aftermath of the devastating wildfires in Maui as the death toll continues to rise and rise. The recovery from this tragedy is proceeding, 
and it's proceeding extremely vigorously. The scale of destruction is incredible, so our hearts are broken even a little bit more than when we were together uh, 48 hours ago with the extra fatalities. Well, that was Hawaii Governor Josh Green providing an update late last night. And earlier today, our friends at Samaritan's Purse airlifted some 17 tons of emergency relief equipment to the island, along with some volunteers, including the Chief Operating Officer Edward Graham. And they're ready to serve the affected families as they grapple with this severe destruction. Well, joining me now with an update on their efforts is Jason Kimak, Senior Director of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse. Jason, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Jody. I appreciate it. Well, listen, we can't thank you. I, Samaritan's Purse, you guys are a phenomenal organization, but yet again, showing just the a tremendous work that you do, not only helping people in need, but taking the gospel to them. Let's begin with just what you're hearing, Jason, from Edward or uh, the rest of the team. Well, the situation on the, on, as you know, the situation on the ground is is dire. It's bad. It's, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, emergency management is still looking for those who are missing. And uh, it's just heartbreaking to hear the stories of people who have lost loved ones and um, those who had to escape narrowly and uh, those who are living in shelters right now because they don't have a home anymore. And, uh, you know, we're there on the ground uh, still assessing uh, and we're meeting with emergency management. And uh, it's as, as I'm seeing the pictures now going through, it's just terrible to watch as uh, there's so many people who are displaced. Yeah, those pictures are emotional to look at. Uh, the the devastation is beyond what any of us, if you're not there in person, can really even comprehend. But uh, by talking to Edward and uh, keeping track with what Samaritan's Purse will be doing, I understand that among other things, uh, your group, your organization and volunteers will be sifting through a bunch of the ashes of former homes and businesses and so forth, but looking for some priceless items that may have survived the flames no question that has to be an extremely emotional endeavor. And I would just think having the presence of Samaritan's Purse, volunteers and representatives there representing uh, the Lord Jesus while going through all of that will have to be an enormous comfort to these people. It, it is. It's a very difficult thing to do this with families and our volunteers as they're sifting through the ashes. You know, typically we'll come in after a fire and we'll have um, we will sift and uh, we will look for items that are very important and precious to these families. And uh, it, it's sad because everything they've had is is gone. And um, it's anything that we can recover to help them uh, have some memories, uh, whether it's a photo or a ring or anything that survived that will help them have some memories from their family or from the past. Uh, it, it's incredibly emotional. And uh, we also have uh, chaplains from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association that's on the ground as well. And uh, as you said, we're there for the spiritual piece as well. And so uh, we're there to help them find things. But the most important part is we're there to help them um, on the spiritual side. So we have chaplains uh, that we have 10 that actually live in Hawaii and are on the ground now and they're visiting shelters and they are uh, just spending time with people. They're loving on them. They're praying with them. Uh, and they're sharing the hope of, of Jesus Christ with them as well. That's fantastic. 
Well, I know it's it's not an effort like this is not just left in the arms of Samaritan's Purse. Uh, you are also there uh, collaborating with a lot of local pastors, which there are quite a few. Uh, how does that work? How, how does the team put together and work with these other pastors? And what are you hearing from them right now? Well, some of our first contacts on the ground are the local pastors. We, uh, we partner with the local church and, and what we do. So our, some of our first phone calls are to the local pastors. And so we meet with them even this Sunday. We were, uh, some of our staff members were at some of these churches, just spending time with the families, praying with them, singing with them. And uh, it was even in the midst of this devastation, uh, they were still praising the Lord and, uh, and, 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 and reaching out to their communities. And so when we partner with the local churches, uh, they come and uh, we want to, uh, to help them because uh, they're the ones who are in this community. They're the ones when we leave that are still going to be here for these people. And so we're here to empower them and work with those who want to volunteer and bring volunteers in from around the country as well. And uh, that's to help these hurting people, and uh, but also be there for the spiritual care as well. Well, only the Lord and uh, his children at times like this can turn beauty uh, from ashes and make that transition. And we're so grateful that you're here. As we wrap up, Jason, I, I, I think it would be great for our viewers and listeners just to hear from you how they can support the ministry and the work that you're doing and how they can be specifically praying right now. Well, right now our DCA cargo plane is actually getting unloaded uh, as, as I speak here in Maui. And so uh, with all of those um, supplies and equipment that's getting out, I would ask for you to pray. That's the number one thing. And I know Edward said that uh, last week, we believe in the power of prayer and, uh, and the Lord, Ask us to pray, and so we're going to do it. And He is the one that's going to uh, encourage and help everyone uh, and during this time of need. But I'm Thank also going to ask you to go to uh, SamaritansPurse.org if you'd like to volunteer or uh, see how you can help out. Go to SamaritansPurse.org. We've got to wrap up, ask. Jason. Pray. All right. Thank you, Jason Kimak, Samaritans you. Purse. All right, friends, coming up, it's two-year anniversary since the fall of Kabul. We'll bring all that your way right after the break. Stay tuned. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Roger and Janice Bowers. No question about it. Whatever FRC has done in the past and will continue to do in the future, they do it with excellence, integrity, and a God-honoring focus, and that means all the world to us, and that's why we continue to support them. Well, if it weren't for incredible partners like Roger and Janice, where would FRC be? I want to thank each of you who are a part of this incredible organization and also want to extend a very heartfelt invitation for you to join us in September, September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. for this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit as we will be celebrating 40 years of standing for faith, family, and freedom. Friends, registration is open now, and we look forward to seeing you there. Simply go to prayvotestand.org for more details and to register. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible event. Hope to see you there. All right, today marks the second anniversary of the fall of Kabul following the Biden administration's disastrous and chaotic uh, withdrawal of our U.S. forces in Afghanistan. And this came, by way of reminder, this came after 20 years and more than a trillion dollars that the United States invested in that country. And since that day, tragically, the Taliban has persecuted thousands of people in that country, many of them simply due to their faith. Well, joining me now to discuss this, as well as his reflections on this also, being the anniversary of a gunman's attack on FRC 11 years ago. 
Well, joining me now is retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who serves as our executive vice president at FRC. As you well know, he spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, and he was also one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. General, always great to see you, my friend. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Jody. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, you have called this withdrawal, I've heard uh, you say it before, it's the largest foreign policy failure in American history. And the Biden administration still doesn't admit that it was a failure at all. In fact, for the longest, they, they tried to claim this was some sort of success right afterwards, although it's true, they're not using that word much anymore. In fact, I want to play this uh, clip for you and get your reaction. This was an exchange that one reporter had with the State Department spokesman Matthew Miller last week. Please play clip six. You still believe that this, is a, this was a success because they have a real hard time when the administration calls we, this withdrawal a success. Do you still believe it was a success? We believe it was the correct policy choice. All right, the correct policy choice, not saying success any longer. What were your thoughts, General? You know, first of all, I don't agree with it, and I think everybody knows that. But the thing about this is when you have an administration that uh, has senior people that don't think for themselves, that just follow along like little lemmings, uh, you're bound to have a situation like this. And I think that's what, what happened uh, the Biden administration uh, does not have any leadership, uh, and the president thinks that he is uh, the only leader, really, in this uh, administration, I think. And and as a result of that, uh, his people followed along with uh, some, I would say, even ridiculous ideas like uh, closing the airfield there at Bagram, uh, which was a, a very uh, useful place for them during this uh, evacuation. And uh, as a result of that, you get people like the guy you just had on there that uh, that are not thinking for themselves, and the president is therefore not listening to them. Well, it's either not thinking or it's just trying to spin everything, everything to, de to deceive the American people into believing something that simply is not reality. I know there, there's a, a watchdog group out there that documents waste and fraud and abuse and all that sort of stuff, but specifically as it relates uh, related to the U.S. spending in Afghanistan, uh, the the Biden administration provided over uh, over two billion dollars of taxpayer dollars to Afghanistan since the Taliban took control of the government. I mean, shouldn't we, General? Shouldn't we be concerned that we as Americans are the number one patron of the Taliban? I mean, this something about this just smells like a rat to me. Yeah, well, stop and think about what uh, uh, $2 billion would do for uh, certain sectors of our society, like the homeless, uh, like those that are uh, that are hooked on drugs and need to be in a program to help get them off of, uh, of the drugs. There's so many things we could do with that, yet we're squandering it. We're literally squandering it and and that's bad enough, but nobody can explain to us what we hope to achieve by putting that kind of money into wasteful projects like this. Well, and giving it to the Taliban of all places. I mean, what accountability is there uh, of what they're even doing with the money? The whole thing just um, uh, reeks with, with question marks. I'll, I'll put it that way 
for me. And, and after all, I mean, we've had a presence. Uh, you, you heavily involved. We had a presence there for uh, some 20 years. Uh, what would you say to the service members, General, and, and their families who feel that all their efforts were simply wasted while while being over there? I, I would simply say, look, I, I my heart hurts for what I've seen in that part of the world, for what I've seen our American leadership do. And, and for those of you who fought there and lost friends there and all, all I can say to you at this point is I am sorry. I really am sorry. And I will do, if there's anything that I can do, I will try to do something to make it right. And what I will do to make it right is when I go to the poll, uh, I'm going to vote for someone who cares about our military. It may be a write-in. I don't think so, but it could be. But I'm going to vote for someone that really cares about our military and understands the importance of a ready military in our society. Pray, vote, stand. Uh, that's that's what we've got to do. Uh, let me switch to another topic. I, I was reading earlier today about the JCPOA, commonly known the Iran deal, the nuclear deal. Uh, and the Biden administration recently negotiated to unfreeze $6 billion in Iranian assets. And there were five Americans who would be released in exchange for that. Uh, and, and don't misunderstand me in any way. I want all of them to come home. Right? We want them to come home. But what kind of a negotiation with this $6 billion in exchange does well let me just get your your reaction to that hey they're playing us like a fiddle and since you're from georgia you know what a fiddle is and you know the difference between that <laughs> and a violin it is not a violin they're playing us like a fiddle and uh, just just think back uh, when during the obama administration remember the image of that uh, plain load of of uh, american money all stacked up it looked like a a cartel operation out of uh, somewhere in South America, you know, and and they were trading money back to the Taliban for um, some of our hostages. And you you just think about that. When I came into the Delta Force in 1978, we had people from the State Department that came down to help us, uh, uh, especially to help us in terms of policy associated with uh, counterterrorism. And the first thing they told us is, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We do not negotiate with terrorists. And they heard that over and over and over. It was a good policy. Now, I want those people back as well. But America never comes out a winner in these kinds of negotiations. And that's where you've got to have strong leadership that has established that leadership. And people understand that leadership that, uh, that a strong leader would bring to this administration or to this country. So that's why I say we've got to have strong leadership here unless we're willing to accept the status quo, and we're going to see this kind of nonsense go on for a long time until we finally get a leader in the White House, in the military, and in those places where leaders have to step up and do everything they can to keep America as the the number one superpower in the nation and also to protect our people wherever they may be. Yeah, and and negotiating with terrorists, that's uh, that was a policy. I remember that. I remember hearing that over and over and over. And that, in essence, is what we've just done, isn't it? 
It is indeed exactly what we've just done. And and uh, and where does that get you? Where does that take you? You know, uh, if if you remember, I was part of the uh, Iran rescue attempt back in twenty uh, fourth of April, nineteen eighty, and uh, and ultimately because we failed there to rescue those people uh, when we went into Iran, uh, and 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 we actually lost eight men ourselves. Uh, it came down to a negotiation, and that was the first time that I can remember that uh, there was actually a negotiation for hostages. There may have been some others that I was not aware of, but that's the first one. And I tell you, it, it, we, all of us on that mission, we hurt deeply. I mean, we hurt deeply because, number one, we had failed. Uh, but number two, uh, we knew that a precedent had been set that was going to create more hostage taking because it was now profitable more hostage taken now because it was fashionable to take hostages and then ransom them for money. And that's exactly what we have now. And it, uh, it's a sad, sad thing for me. It's sad. It's frightening to see where this potentially can take us. I'd like to get your uh, opinion on an assessment that came from Congressman Mike McCall. Of course, he's the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. But he was uh, this past Sunday on Fox News Sunday, and he had this to say. Clip eight, please. We have to go in eyes wide open. Six billion dollars that now is going to go into Iran and prop up their proxy war uh, terror operations and their nuclear bomb aspirations. I think we're going back to the, the mistakes of the past. Is that what they're going to do with that six billion dollars? There, I don't think there's any question that they are. That's exactly what they're going to do. And they're going to, he, what he, I don't think he said was they're going to use it to uh, to develop more missiles, to enhance their missile program, because you've got, not only are they only probably, if they wanted to be, uh, less than a couple of months away from having a, a warhead that has been enriched to the point of being a nuclear warhead, but then you got to have the delivery devices and those, and generally speaking, are missiles, and they have been working actively on trying to have missiles that they can deliver nuclear warheads with. So I think that's exactly what they're going to do. So you stop and think about it. We are funding our own demise. Does that make sense? What's the logic of that? You didn't see the previous president do anything that stupid with this bunch of people. And make no mistake, there is no way these people will ever be our friends, not with the mullahs in there. The Iranian people are actually good people. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking that we can make friends and expect them to make promises that they will keep because they do not have a history of that. In fact, it is quite the contrary. They've made a lot of uh, promises which have not been fulfilled, and that's what we're going to see again unless we get some leadership going. And a lot can be done with $6 billion in their hands. If I can, let me switch gears with you, General. Today also marks not only the two-year anniversary of the botched withdrawal in Afghanistan, but it also marks 11 years since a domestic terrorist attempted a mass murder at the Family Research Council headquarters here in Washington, D.C. And the, uh, the gunman actually shot one of our staff in the uh, building lobby just a few floors below where we all sit now. So as you reflect back on on this day 
in that regard. What are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I've been thinking about this all day. Uh, first of all, uh, the guy's name was Floyd Lee Corkins, and he was a uh, an advocate for the LGBT community, and he uh, claimed to the judge that he was there to kill as many of us as possible, and then he was going to force us to uh, put a uh, a Chick-fil-A sandwich in our mouth. And uh, this was an evil, demented man. But he said that he targeted us because we were listed on the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, hate map as a organization that hated homosexuals. That is not the truth. There's no way. But the guy that was the real hero that day was our building manager, Leo Johnson. And that man, he grows larger than life uh, the, the longer he lives because some people will come in and want to know where is the guy that uh, that got shot here. And, uh, and we were proud to tell them that this man saved a lot of lives that day. Make no mistake, had it not been for Leo Johnson, there would have been some others that would have been killed that day. And by the way, as a final thought, the Southern Poverty Law Center, even though Floyd uh, Corkins was locked up for, I think, 25 years, Southern Poverty Law Center has never, never apologized to us for being targeted because of their hate map. And that mm. says a lot about their character. It really does. Well, there's no question in my mind, but that the good hand of God was all over FRC in the building that day. And Leo Johnson, you're right. What a what an amazing man. I get in early when I, I go to uh, the office, as you do as well. Leo is always in there making coffee for all of us, among other things. He's just a fantastic individual. But thank God for the Lord's incredible protection on FRC. Amen. General Boykin, as always, thank you so much for your leadership, and thank you for joining me today on Washington Watch. It's good to be with you. Thanks. All right, friends, that wraps up another edition of this uh, Tuesday evening of Washington Watch. Hope you have a great evening. Keep the torch ablaze. Pray, vote, stand. And we'll see you tomorrow with more here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.